Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Krakowski. Thanks for joining me today. All right, so in this episode, I'm joined by Brendan Kumarasamy. He's a communications coach and the creator of the popular YouTube channel, Master Talk. So becoming a strong and skilled speaker is something that helps everyone, and I love diving into the topic of speaking. So I asked Brendan to come on and share his story and his insights into becoming a world-class presenter and speaker. So from actually competing in presentation cases to coaching for fun, he eventually created Master Talk, and he started helping people around the world find their voice and become excellent speakers. So I believe communication is a strength we don't necessarily think of as a skill to develop, but it's one of the greatest strengths that we can. And just like training, there's specific exercises that you can do to become a skilled presenter. And Brendan gives some amazing practical guides for it here. All right, so with that, we'll get right to it. If you like this episode, please show the podcast some love, rate and review it wherever you're listening. And don't forget to subscribe, catch all new episodes that are dropped every week. All right, thanks so much, guys. Now let's get on with the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Brendan, what's up, man? How are you today? Very good, Michael. How about you, man? Good. It's really great to meet you. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. It's been back and forth a couple of ways, so I'm glad we got a chance to do this, man. There you go. You made it work. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, communication, that is our topic today. I've really loved uh, following your work with Master Talk. Um, you know, I think communication and articulation and speaking, it's such something that I think we all understand is important, but don't realize that it's a skill that you can develop just like anything. And, you know, it's funny. It's, I think everybody has that story of knowing somebody who really spoke to them from something that they heard or a story that they heard and just the way that the person articulated, it really just hit them. But on the flip side too, I think everybody knows that person, or maybe you are that person that knows a lot about what you do, the content of what you have, but it doesn't seem like it carries the way that you want it to in speaking. And I know you've put a lot of effort into that with all your work. So I'm excited to have a a fun chat with you. I appreciate it, man. I completely agree, right? Delivery is just as important as content. A lot of people miss the delivery side of the piece. No doubt, no doubt. So um, I want to start with this. So presentation case competitions, you did this for a bit. What is this? I know you did this quite a bit and it kind of got you into this uh, world of what you do now. What are these competitions? Absolutely, Michael. Think think of it like professional sports for nerds. So all the guys my age are like oh, playing love rugby, yeah, yeah, or baseball. Because it's, it's to your point, nobody knows what a case competition is. <laughs> so so it's like it's like sports for nerds. So while other guys are playing basketball. I did presentations competitively. And the reason I did them wasn't because I had a passion for speaking. You know, you would think with what I do today that I always had this passion. And the truth is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I did it to get a job because a lot of gotcha. executives, they create these competitions, they sponsor them. And I saw it as my ticket out of, my, out of poverty because my parents were factory workers. Mm. So I started doing them, but I accidentally grew an obsession and a love for them, which ended up leading to what I do today. Okay. So what, what is it like? Like what, what is a presentation case competition? How does it, how does it work? Absolutely. So, so let's take, think of it like this. Let's say me and you are on the same team mm-hmm. and Amazon's executives, they come out to this competition themselves. So, so literally the vice president, the SVP of Amazon will come to the competition and they'll give us a 20 page document. They'll say, Michael, you know, Brendan, I'm really struggling of where to open my next Amazon ghost store. Should I open it in Seattle next? Should I open it? in Los Angeles. I'm not sure. What do you think? So Mm. then me and you will read this document for for like three hours, four hours. We'll figure out a solution. We'll create slides, financials. And then at the end of that three hour, we have to go back and present to the executives as if we were their consultants. So a lot of the 
times, you know, people aren't, don't do a great job because they're in their 20s, right? Most of these kids. So they go, right. uh, hi, SVP, my name is Brendan. They're bad. And then our teams would go in and just smash it. You know, ever since I was a kid, I always loved Amazon. So the people that they really like, mm. they give job offers to. So that's how oh, wow. are. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, that's such a, it's such a life skill of your building in right there. You know, I mean, that's the thing when you're young, it's like, how do you develop these skills that really are going to equate into life? So this is kind of giving you that project being like, dazzle me, sell me. It sounds like that's kind of what it is. You got it. You got it. And then I, as time went on, I just fell in love with them because I started winning them, but I also started losing them and I hate losing. So I just mm. started focusing and I didn't even care about the job in you because I landed the job I wanted. Everybody mm-hmm. who does case comp just gets a job at the end of it. Okay. So I was more focused on like, how do I win more of these things? Think of me as the Michael Jordan that nobody cares about, where like Michael Jordan was like <laughs> loved, right? And revered in basketball. I, I just was in a sport nobody really paid much attention to. Oh, there we go. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. The Michael Jordan of, pres- of the presentation. Case no, no, that nobody cares about. That nobody, that nobody cares, cares about. So, yeah, you got to add that part. Okay. What was it about the, the competitions and the art of speaking that really, you know, seemed like, wow, this is something I really like to do. Was it kind of the thrill of competition is something that is, is very exciting to do. And when you win something, sometimes it kind of sparks, well, maybe I'm, I'm actually pretty good at this. Maybe I want to dive in even deeper. Was it kind of like that? Or was it something about putting together the presentation that was really exciting to you? All of the above. And the only letter I'll I'll add on top of that, Michael, is it gave me purpose. So when I entered Mm. my second year of case competitions, I was 20 years old, right? 20 or 21. And I became one of the executives who was running the program because it's a student-run program. Mm. And then I looked at the 80 students because it's really competitive. Probably three, 400 people apply for this. And it's a two, three round interview. And then we pick the top 80. Okay. And I, I looked at the team and I said, 20 of these guys are not really good at speaking. So let me just start coaching them. But back then, it wasn't about me saying, oh, I could turn this into a business. I, I literally have not been paid for the first four years of my coaching career. Because mm. I just loved it. I didn't know it was a profession. Right. I, like, I have a great yeah. job waiting for me. <laughs> so I started coaching them. And I just had so much fun in two angles. One, helping other people, which is, I guess, the PR thing to say. But the other part is I loved seeing them win. I loved Mm. like working with them and then they would go out there and just obliterate the other team. I loved that look on their face, on the judge's face where they would watch teams all day. And then the team that we had coached in our school would go up and they would just look at the team and go, Oh my God. Like how is this kid 20 years old? Yeah. So that face I I lived and died by. It was amazing. It's funny. It's, it's hard to, uh, to comprehend or to teach somebody that feeling in there. Like I've done the same of one uh, different events, different competitions, but when it got into coaching and you see, you see your clients or your students success from it, it's a, it's a different type of feeling, you know, from there. That's why I always, I could totally understand how that love of coaching gets. So, I mean, a lot of people, they go into coaching. Most don't get into it because they think they're going to be the next billionaire. It's not one of those industries that is like that, that you can scale that easily on it. It's mostly because it's that feeling that you get that enjoyment of working with other people. So this was kind of like, all right, you saw there was a need with these people and you just kind of, did you just go up to them and be like, Hey, I can help you. Or did they reach out to you? You know, first, how did that come about? Yeah, for sure, Michael. So so the first 60 people I worked with in my career were all just students in case competitions, never made a dollar from it, never even thought I was a profession. I just had a lot of fun doing it and I loved seeing them beat the other schools. Mm. But then in my last semester of college, Michael, one of the 60 people that I had coached asked me a question that changed the trajectory of my life. 
And the question was a simple one. How did you learn how to speak? And I just went, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, how did you learn? Like, did you hire a coach? Did you do Toastmasters? Did you watch a YouTube video on communicating? And I just laughed him out of the room. I was like, what are you talking about? I just self-taught and I figured it out. Mm-hmm. And then he planted a seed in my mind. And I just started watching YouTube videos on speaking. And I just felt that all of the advice they were sharing was wrong. I was like, that's not what worked with me. I didn't do it that way. And there was just mm. so many conflicts that Master Talk started literally as a joke. I just started making videos in my mother's basement. It still wasn't a business. And I was just making videos for fun while I was working my super cool six-figure job at IBM. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was only nine months into the YouTube channel that I realized it was a business. Oh, wow. What were the things that you uh, were hearing that just kind of seemed like, no, that's not what I learned. Like, what was the, what was the messages that you were seeing? I love that question. And it's crazy how I never get asked that. So I'm really? glad that you did, Michael. Yeah. So a couple of pieces. The first one, and this is all the respect in the world, because obviously I had a lot bigger ego. I still have an ego, but it's a lot smaller today. But back then it was massive, right? The size <laughs> you can't, of the You idea. can't lose it completely, nor do you want to. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I agree. So I, so I have a lot to learn from you in mm-hmm. that regard. But the, the key was at the beginning of the journey, Michael, when I would watch these, these guys and gals give presentations, one, they were all academics. So they weren't running a business where they were tied, who were held accountable to the results they were delivering clients. Mm. Because a lot of PhDs in comms, they're faculty professors, right? So they just mm. work, they have a PhD in comms, they, they're, they're given a very stable job with a very stable salary, and they give exams. So it's not like I coach you, and if I don't get the result, I get fired. So because mm-hmm. of that, a lot of the advice they were sharing and still are sharing to this day is very theoretical in nature. It's this is where the fear of communication, this is glossophobia, this is how to present, this is this very complicated framework on how to speak. Mm-hmm. Two, the advice is super general. Be yourself, picture yourself in your underwear, uh, do this, do that. And I was like, okay. Right. And the third one, which really annoyed me, is if you're a communication expert, you should be sounding really excited as you're delivering the message. But a lot of the videos is like, hi, guys. Uh, so today we're going to talk about communication. And I got so mad that I was like, I could do way better than this in my mom's basement. And then I brought right. – so think of me as I brought a lot of simplicity and practicality to the industry so that a five-year-old could understand what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. It's always interesting. The be yourself, uh, like skill tactic, right. To teach from someone. Like I understand where the person's coming from, but it's kind of like I do, I teach intuitive training with people. I say like, in order to get there, like you need to build the initial skills first. You need to have discipline down. Like if you just trust your intuition without any competence at all, like you're going to go in any different direction. Like that's the stupidest possible thing. It's kind of the same thing with speak. Oh, just be yourself. It's like, well, I don't know what myself is public speaking. It's kind of like all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm at a loss. Absolutely, Michael. And one other bonus to, to your point that I forgot to mention was a lot of communication is fear-based, right? So a lot of it is, hey, to, to be yourself is very vague advice to your point. Then the other piece is the fear of communication exists. It's going to kill you. It's, you know, Jerry Seinfeld says, I'd rather be in the casket than give the eulogy. Right. Like it's all of these cultural norms that don't make sense to me. Whereas for me, it's about saying, wait, 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 how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Like let's right. dream about our speaking and we just don't do it with the skill set. That, you know, that's... That's interesting. It's oftentimes we think like, oh, I have a big presentation or, or I want to start an online program. So I need to learn how to speak, not recognizing how this could impact everything in your life. You know, I remember when I was an uh, early manager, 
And I really had no experience in sales. Like I just kind of had the beginner's luck stuff, which in reality, I was just talking to people. And that was one of the arches having a good conversation. Then I started thinking of it like a job and then I sucked. Then realized when I actually learned how to communicate properly with people in sales, it started to change in all different aspects of my life. My relationship with my girlfriend was different, like the way that we communicated, you know, the way that I was talking with friends and I was just carrying myself, all those things come in so much. And it all starts from just how you, how you communicate, you know, what you're trying to say. Absolutely, Michael. I love that. Yeah, and, and what you touched upon, which is so key, is the idea that communication is not one dimensional. It's not just about presentation. It's the way you're talking to your girlfriend, right? It's yeah. every area of your life. That's why I call communication the accelerant of dreams. It doesn't matter what you want in your life. Communication is an accelerant to make you a better boyfriend, a better husband, a better father, a better <laughs> friend to the people in our life. Or, you know, sister, you get the idea. Same right. analogy. Yep on the other side of the equation. And that's what inspires us to actually go, yeah, I actually want to learn from Michael and Brendan today and actually practice this tomorrow. Right. Yeah. So your, your first early days with these 60 people, so you're working with these people and now you're coaching them. What was your process like of working with those people initially? Did you have a structure that you worked with or you did kind of see what they were doing and then kind of course correct it? How did that process first start getting implemented? Right, Michael. So, so so, I think a reason why I brought a lot of fresh ideas to the industry wasn't because I think I'm smart or anything. It's because I made a ton of mistakes because of the naivete I had as a coach. Mm. So the first 50, 60 people, remember, I wasn't paying, being paid to do this. I never even thought of it as a profession. I just looked at the other exec team and I said, well, I'm the only person who's putting my hand up to help these people. So, mm. And I want them to win for my own ego. So mm-hmm. let's just figure this out. So essentially what would happen is I took a very mad scientist-like approach to communication. So I would teach them something, but these kids are really smart too, right? This is the top 1% of our faculty. So they're mm-hmm. my friends. So they would come back and say, well, this doesn't really work, Brendan. Like it's like, oh, I tried this, but I don't think that's how you remove filler work. Sure. <laughs> so I just tried a bunch of different ingredients like a chef does. And then eventually through the years of kind of trial and error, I started getting clients very uh, – not clients, but students back then, just super consistent results. And then from that framework, that's when, when I opened my eyes to every, what everyone else is doing. I was like, oh, that's not in alignment with what I'm doing. So there must mm. be something, a gap here. And that's what led to – now I have a very clean process obviously, but at the beginning it wasn't clean at all. Right. Do you remember kind of what the early struggles were of those people, like where they were were fumbling? Was it more of like a competence of what it was or was it more of the confidence, the presentation, the the pace of it? Like what were the main struggles from those people who seemed like they needed your help? For sure. So, which is, which is, by the way, very different than the people I work with today. But back mm-hmm. then, with the, the challenge for them is all of them were really, really top end. Like they, they are really, like really brilliant. And all my clients are brilliant too, but you know what I mean? Like they're, they, they know everything, but, and they have a very strong why. Cause for them, that's, that's what's missing from a lot of the people I work with today is the, and I help them develop that is they mm-hmm. have, they want to get better, but they don't know why. Like, why is this important for me to become a better communicator? Whereas mm-hmm. back then, they all had a clear why, which is I want to win this bloody competition. I want to do sure. well. Mm-hmm. But the challenge for them, to your point, is they had all the right ideas to present back to the board or the executives who were judging the competition, but they were really bad at delivering it. And how it works in case competitions, Michael, is you have like, let's say 10 to 12 different schools competing. And I would say that five out of the 12 teams on average probably has the right solution. 
So what's the difference mm. between first place and fifth place? The difference is generally, and that's what I would tell them all the time, it's generally not the solution. It's a combination of both the solution and how you deliver it in a way where the judges feel like they paid you a million dollars to deliver that solution. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. It's like all of them had the right solution. And it's so easy to think like, oh, well, you know, you want to buy this product because it's going to get you to XYZ. Like that's a very features and benefits type conversation. So was it was it the emotion that they weren't delivering in it? Like, or was it the the wording that they were using? How how did you kind of help them change? I love your curiosity, by the way. Nobody digs into this, which is I think is amazing. So let me give you an example. So now I'm nerding out too, and I hope this is useful love it. to your oh, audience. Please, please so, geek out on it. So, so let's take Walmart as an example. They, they were a case sponsor 10 years ago, if my memory is correct. And I remember that presentation like it was yesterday, like just watching all the great teams from across the world, by the way. Literally mm-hmm. people from around the world, like Australia, New Zealand, they literally fly out to Montreal just to give PowerPoint slides. So it's really fun mm-hmm. and really odd for most people listening to this. <laughs> So, so what team would come up to the, like the guy who's running Walmart Canada, not like a, like a cashier there, literally the guy who's running the entire business for the Canadian Mart is sitting there on that panel. So the first team would come up and go, uh, <clears throat> hi, Michael, uh, my name is Brendan, and this is my colleagues, and today we're going to talk about Walmart's future. And, and the judge is still impressed, like, wow, this kid's like 20 years old, he's still presenting so well, I'll probably still give him a job. Mm-hmm. But he might not get first place, though. But then the next team comes up. They, they stand up with, like clean suits. They shake everyone's hand really professionally. They get up, and it starts like this. Ever since I was a kid, I always loved going to Walmart because Walmart is the only place in the world where you can get your groceries and my favorite video games. And everybody on this board today, you've revolutionized the way that Walmart not just thinks about retail, but the future of e-commerce. And that's why we're excited today to help you discover that future for the Gen Z community. Hi, my name is Brendan Kumar. Some of these are my colleagues, blah, blah, blah. And when you present like that, the exec is looking at you and going, wow, this and now I feel embarrassed. Like he's pre- or she's presenting better than the people who work at the company, and that's right. the difference. That's I mean that's such a I felt that story. Like I mean you could just feel it so quickly right there before you do the introductions. It seems like it's so easy to get into just the the natural path of hello how are I'm this is who I am and versus you kick off and you just started with the story you know from there. I think that's so part. You know it's interesting because the you know, energy and enthusiasm is something that I think can often be misconstrued as like one type of thing. You know, it's like, I think there's great public speakers that jump all over the stage and they're really passionate about what they're doing and it comes out, but that's their natural personality where I've seen some speakers who can comfortably sit in a chair with their legs crossed and have every single person's ear just on them because they have a different type of way that they articulate you know, that, that energy out. So it always is interesting to see, like, I think it probably, if there's a commonality between the personalities on it, it's probably just the authenticity of how you deliver that. That's gotta be like the biggest, that's gotta be one of the biggest things when you first work with somebody. Absolutely, Michael. And the way I think about this and one side note I'll give, I was so obsessed in cases that I would do things that would scare the other contestants like one one case i remember that was really funny is in front with a japanese supplier and i went in front and i literally gave the introduction in japanese and it freaked everyone else they were like what i don't speak japanese fluently. Yeah. i just went on the internet and i started translating i was practicing in japanese and the judge was freaking out he's like whoa this is so cool wow 
So this is what I call audience obsessiveness. But the other piece, which builds into your idea of authenticity, to keep it simple, well, bringing back to simplicity and practicality <clears throat> that, that, that I brought to the field, is for me, communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. Right. So one of those balls is smiling. One of them is eye contact. One of them is vocal variety and pacing. And for me, the game has always been learn to juggle one ball at a time until you're able to juggle all of them. And that's really the frame that I bring to that conversation. Mm. That's beautiful. I love the analogy of juggling. You know, I've used that with the difference between balance and harmony. You know, people always say like, you need that balance of everything. And I was like, that's, if you equate that, that's like juggling, you throw all the balls up at the same time. It's like, well, then they're all going to fall at the same time where harmony is one's up while one's coming down and you're juggling them. You're working all of them together. That can equate directly in with communicate. You know, one of the things, one of the videos I love that you put out was about kind of using silence in that as one of those characteristics, you know, and it's like, that's one of the things that you're kind of juggling at one time. It seems that novice or amateur or maybe nervous public speakers of getting in, like they speak so quickly, so fast, like think they want to get all the information out when in reality, like that distinct pause is, could be like one of the most captivating things as far as like delivering and articulating your point. Absolutely, Michael. And the pause is really key because it helps us emphasize key ideas of our message. And the way that I teach this to people, which is really simple, is to begin with, why do we say filler words in the first place? Because when we know how to pause, we also say less ums and ahs. So both mm. of those things are intertwined. And the reason we do that is to buy ourselves time. So let's say we're in a meeting, we're in a boardroom, we're in a presentation or in a podcast. When you ask me a question, I go, uh, uh, what I'm doing is I'm buying myself time. To right. Mm-hmm. So now what do the best communicators do? They do exactly what you just mentioned, which is they pause, not just to draw key points of their message, but they also pause to remove their filler words and buy themselves time. So that one skill set, mastering that serves a multitude of purposes, which brings me to the last point. How do we practice pausing in a way that gets us really good really fast? I don't think your audience will implement this, but if they do, they'll get results really quickly. Mm. And the the exercise that you can do with your girlfriend, though I have a feeling you already do this, is called the endless gaze. So what you do is you sit down with somebody that you really love in your life. If you do it with strangers, bonus point. And you stare into their eyes for three minutes without saying a single word. And what happens Mm. is you learn the ability to pause for a very long period of time. So when you need to pause to draw emphasis in a presentation for like two to three seconds, it's very easy for you to do that. Mm, okay. That's it. Why, th- why three minutes? Just because it's uncomfortable. There's no real, yeah. like I, I could do like 10, 15 minutes, but I would never say that to people because they'll freak them out. Like what I do in person, let's say when I'm visit- facilitating a workshop for fun, yeah. if I'm in the mood, I'll literally pause for three minutes and I'll just stare at people and smile and it freaks people out. Yeah. It's because I can do it. But the, the challenge is three minutes is like a good starting point. When you do that and you go back to three seconds or two seconds, it just, it's just very easy and natural for you to do that. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's funny. I was I just came back from a, a summit. Some of the best speakers I've you know connected with recently, and one of the guys who uh, owns the company Metaplexus, who's coming on the podcast soon, Adam. And when he first came up, and he just for a good solid sixty seconds, 
didn't say anything. He was just looking at everybody and every it's, you could hear a pin drop in there. So by the time he started speaking and he was telling his story about how he developed and built this, he had everybody's ears on him at once. And I've, I'm going to ask him about it. He might've just been very emotionally just overtaken because he's built a great business over the last you know year and change. But I was like, wow, like that was so powerful of just not having to jump in right away and be like, Hey guys, how's everybody doing? He just sat back and just took everything in. And it was almost like to that uncomfortable moment of pause and silence, but it was so effective and so powerful. And I thought in my head, I was like, yeah, this is something that I want to work on a little bit more. Cause I, I love speaking. I love articulating, but just taking that time and just being a little bit more present, a little bit more silence. And I think that's, it's could be so powerful for people. Absolutely. And you already do it pretty well, I would say. So I don't think you have to work on it too much. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. So, (laughs) so you said the, the people that you work with now and work in, they're much kind of, they have some different struggles than when you first worked with people before. What are the differentiations now of people that are coming to you and they're seeking your help and your advice? What are the main challenges that they have in developing their public speaking? For sure, Michael. I would say the big missing piece between all of them, because because communication coaching is a mixed bag. So some of them are big CEOs of companies mm-hmm. and they want to show up better for their employees. Somebody else is a senior level executive, but they just can't get that promotion that they're looking for at work. They're stuck in their careers because mm-hmm. of their communication. Somebody else is a coach, right? Who's who's really good at delivering the service, but isn't good at giving webinars, getting people enrolled into their offer and really creating that conviction and who they are to say, hey, buy from me. I'm the person Mm. who's going to solve your problem. But despite all of that mixed bag, the key really brings back to a lack of structure. So let's say when we're trying to learn, uh, let's say going to the gym, right? Getting fit. Mm -hmm. So we go to a personal trainer and we ask them, hey, Michael, uh, what's my, you're not a personal trainer, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, I was, yeah, many, many years I did. Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) Right. So, so diet plans, calorie counting and the personal trainer just looks at it and goes, do you walk 15 minutes a day? And they go like, no, why does that matter? Right. So we don't focus on step one, but the problem in communication is those steps aren't outlined. So the structure Mm. is hard. So, uh, of course, I'm going to share that today, Please, yeah. which, is, which is what are the three easiest balls to juggle? And it's true for everybody who's listening. I don't care if you're a coach, an entrepreneur, CEO, focus on those three balls. So let's start mm. with ball number one. Right before, I'm just going to interrupt please, you for a sec. Please. So with the people, because there's always this thought, kind of like the Jerry Seinfeld joke about fear of public speaking, which it's a hilarious joke. But I'm always curious, like, is it... Are people, do they think that they're afraid of public speaking, but it's more mass that they just don't have a structure or competence behind it? Or is it more, is it something deeper than that? I'm sure there's some people that the fear is real of stepping in front and, you know, we all have our own insecurities or challenges that deal with, but is it more a lack of the, because you said most people, like they know their product, they are competent in what they do, but the communication of it is different. Where does this initial fear or people's fear come from? Do you feel? Absolutely, Michael. Great, great follow there. Mm-hmm. And don't be shy to do that more. That's mm-hmm. totally fine. So, so there's two, there's two theories I have on this. So let me give you both theories. The first one is around the education system. Where do we learn how to speak? The answer is really simple, regardless of where we live in the world, whether we're based in the States, Canada, UK, India, doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. The answer is the same, which is high school middle school, 
elementary school in a formal way. But right. all of those presentations, Michael, have three fundamental challenges to them. The first one is they're all mandatory. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, hey, Michael, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody says that. Right. <laughs> so that's number one. The second big challenge is you're never presenting something you actually care about. So it's never, hey, Michael, what are you passionate about? I see you like art. I see you reading mm-hmm. books. You're passionate about coaching. You love media, interviewing people. Do mm-hmm. you want to give a presentation about them? We'll all clap for you. That's not how the education system works. It's, by the way, Michael and Brendan, you got to give a presentation on the Renaissance. And you're like, what is that? And then you have to give a presentation on Shakespearean poetry, and you don't have a say in it. And then the third Mm. piece, which is actually the worst thing of all, when you really think about it like this, you go, why do we even do this to our children? The third challenge is every single presentation, Michael, 100% of them are tied to a punishment. So if you don't do a great job, not only do you don't get a pat on the back, you get a slap in the face. You lose 20% of your grade and you get humiliated in front of your classroom. And this gets repeated Mm -hmm. in French, in English, in Spanish, in science, in music over and over again until we're conditioned to believe that communication is a chore and nobody wants to get better at doing the dishes. That is really, you know, it's so interesting. It's so it's so it's like common sense. It feels like like absolutely like that's where it starts from. But it's not something I ever thought of before. It does. It feels. I remember those early presentations that you had to give, and it was a mandatory thing. You had to do it for a grade, and it was something that most often you don't really have a passionate interest in. You know, it's just some. It's just some topic that we were given in school. So what do you default to? You just default to the facts, and then you just present those out. And as long as you got the facts right, you get your claps and then you get your grade and then you're like, thank God that's over. I don't have to do that again. And then the whole aspect of communication falls in with the experience of having to do something you really didn't want to do in the first place. Absolutely, Michael. And you nailed it. And then the other piece, which is the second theory, which goes back around, hey, where does the fear come from? Why is it there? Let's bring it back to common sense, which is... Everything that we've accomplished in our life, whether it's asking somebody on a date, going on a, getting a job interview, uh, doing my first podcast guest, posting a video on social media, getting married, having children, everything. Did we do it with zero fear? Of course not, right? Mm. We did it scared. Why is that? Because the motivation behind having a girlfriend, behind having that job, behind making money is mm-hmm. significantly greater getting an education right. than, than the fear that is associated with. Why don't we just apply the same rationale that got us to where we are today, successful individuals? Because mm. if you're listening to a podcast, in my definition, you're successful because you're listening to long form. You're working right. on yourself. So why aren't we applying that to speaking? So for me, the, the crux of the game here is our motivation just isn't strong enough because we were never taught to build motivation for communication to go, wait a second, Michael, if you had a 10th of the communication skills you have today, because your communication skills are great, but if you had a 10th of that, you would impact 10 times less lives. Mm. But because your communication is so good, not only can you share great stories on a podcast, but you also inspire the people you work with to get to that next level because they believe in what you're doing, but we don't focus on that side of the equation. That that's so interesting on there. Yeah, because I'm thinking it's like you can be so passionate about different, you know, different topics. But if all your experiences is based on like those early things that you did in school when you weren't interested, then you tie that right in with communicating about it. And then there's an apprehension 
behind it afterwards. So that's so interesting. Oh, I could totally see, I could totally see that. I mean, everything comes from those experiences, you know, from there, even if you're so competent and you're so passionate about what you're doing right now, you get in. So do you talk about that with people kind of about their previous experiences with public speaking when you first meet them to see if you kind of need to untangle some of these kind of self-limiting beliefs? Sometimes it's a great question, mm-hmm. but most of the time what I do, which is different than let's say a life coach or a sure. therapist we'll go deeper on this. There's some part of that that I do do when they're really good. But the first step is to treat it exactly as if somebody was going to the gym with a personal trainer the first time, mm-hmm. which is, yes, let's talk about the goals. Yes. Let's focus on what your vision is, but let's focus on the reps. Because if you in. do the reps and you lose, let's assume weight loss, not, yeah. not in our case, but let's yeah. assume, right? And if we lost five pounds, it's like, you don't, you don't even need me to do deep work. You're already convinced because the scale is showing a lower number. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is 100% factual now that you can get better. Mm-hmm. And that does, there's still going to be some inner work, but that solves 80% of the game. Beautiful. So how does this now go back to the easy threes? I'll give you ball number yes. one. I'll, th- I'll throw the ball back to you. Perfect. So you mm-hmm. Just go back and forth. So ball number one is, I don't even care how nervous they are. And by the way, I don't mean it that way. So I'll acknowledge the fear, Mm -hmm. but I'll just say something like, how about we just did the random word exercise and see what happens, which is ball one. So you pick a word like phone or eyes or house or wife or book, create like random words, Mm -hmm. and you create random presentations out of thin air on the spot behind that word. Mm. So there's two purposes to this exercise, Michael. One is to help us deal with uncertainty because life is filled with it, mm-hmm. right? Like you said, there's a lot of coaches listening to this. We've all had that prospecting call where we're like, whoa, this conversation is really weird. Like where right. is yeah. this going with this? Yeah. So that's one piece. So it helps us deal with uncertainty. The second reason is if we can make sense out of nonsense, we can make sense out of anything. So if we could talk about avocado toast for 30 seconds, When it comes to our offer or what we're selling or communication in general, when it's something we know, it's very easy. But the key here, and I'll throw it back to you, Mm -hmm. is the first time somebody does this exercise, they always tell me this, I can't do it. There's no way I could do that. Like, Mm. what are you talking about? Like, I always prepare for present. And so why don't you try plant? And then they obviously do it. And then I I just ask them a simple question. I go, Michael, what else is possible for your communication skills? They go, well, Brendan, I guess I could do this 10 more times. They do it 10 more times. Then I go, what else is possible? And they're like, I think I could do this 25 times. I go, no, 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 no. You're going to do it 100 times in the next two weeks. They go, what? I go, yeah, Mm. which is five times a day for three weeks. It's actually not that long. But then when they hit 100, I go, what was better the first time or the 100th? They go, I'm so good at this now. I could do this in my sleep. And then the last piece is I go, what else is possible with your communication skills? And they look at me, dead in the eyes, they go, anything. And I go, that's the point. That's it. So it's getting the reps in. Yeah. Just getting that's interesting of just the word. I remember I'm I'm sure you've uh, done it a million times before too with improv, like the yes end game of just like you need to keep going. And it is the first time you go through it, you just you 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 know, crunch up and you're just like, I can't do this. Like you're just, cause you're in that just little bound nature of that thought process right there. Then once you get it a couple different times and you just get rolling, when you have the random word, like with the presentation, is it, I just like, is it just like a quick, like two minute presentation you're saying? It's just kind of like speak whatever is speak with enthusiasm. How does that actually work? Absolutely, Michael. So what I always like to say, and I'm happy to demonstrate if you want me to, but the main idea here is we don't get points for doing it well. We get points for doing it a lot. 
So the reason I always mm. I always push back on this question, not because it's a bad question, yeah. it's because people are always looking for that A plus from the teacher. How yes. do I do this exactly right so that Brendan gives me a pat on the back? Because that's what we're okay. conditioned to do. Whereas for me, it's more about saying it could be 30 seconds. It could be 45 seconds. The reason I'm good at it isn't because I'm this brilliant guy who does the random word exercise it, and because I created all this stuff. It's mm. because I've done it 3,000 gotcha. times. That's why I'm good so at don't, it. So don't logically look, think through it creatively. Yes. Okay. So if you yeah. could example that, because I'm just curious about this, like if we were going to say like avocado toast out there and you were going to jump on that, like how would that work? Absolutely. I'll demonstrate right now. And yeah. for those who are listening to this, Michael did not give me that word. He's literally just pulling that for what right. I just said, <laughs> which sounds something like this. Yeah. It was 2019, and I was in Columbus, Ohio for Lewis House's event, Summit of Greatness, Michael. And I'm walking after a nice workout with all the other participants, and somebody told me that there's this great breakfast spot nearby that we should all check out. So I go to it expecting that I'm going to order eggs and bacon and bread like everybody else does. And I've realized in this restaurant, Michael, that they don't sell that. They actually sell two things. The first one is organic juice which is like $9, mm-hmm. which is $9 more than what I had. And the right. second thing that they had was avocado toast. And I was like, who would buy avocado toast? Like $10. But you know what? I was feeling inspired that day. So I took $19 out of my pocket and I bought avocado toast and mm-hmm. the organic juice. And boy, was it amazing. I never knew that avocado toast could taste this good. So what's the lesson? Mm-hmm. The lesson, Michael, is don't be afraid to try new things. Yeah. And it's not about avocado toast. Yeah. It's about the little things in your life that you're scared of that you're running away from. So yeah, just go take a bite and give it a try. That's it. That's freaking awesome, dude. There's so many little nuggets that you gave in there. Like you're at a Lewis House Summit. Okay, so you're like focused on this. Oh, you're around other people. Oh, it's something that only two things in the restaurant. There's so many little things that you can put yourself into that story, like getting the avocado toast with you. I think that's so great. I think that one of that's one of the cool things about communication and articulating that message is when you can step into the person's story with them. I think that's why people love podcasts so much. I know I do because you feel like you jump into the room, like people are having this conversation with us going back and forth. They're thinking of their responses as you go. And that's why so many people have built these big platforms on podcasting all the time. That's so cool. Okay. So random word exercise. That's beautiful. So that's number one. What's number two? Right. And, and just the small buildup on number one is the best way to do this is in the shower. Because everyone's got 15 minutes there that you're not doing anything in. Mm-hmm. If you have children, for those of you listening to this who do, do that with them because they're a greatest teacher When we or a niece mm-hmm. or a nephew. If you give this to a nine-year-old, they don't sit down with you and go, Michael, I'd love for us to have a 30-minute conversation around the fear of judgment. They just go, ah, bacon is what my mom gave me this morning and it was really yeah. good. And I like, they just do the exercise. So that's number one. Number two is the question drill, Michael. We mm-hmm. get asked questions all the time in our life. School, work, podcasting, sales calls, right, as a coach. But most of us are reactive to those questions. We're not proactive. Meaning, a few years ago when I started guesting on podcasts, I sucked. I remember some guy asked me the exact same question you did. Where does the fear of communication come from? And my answer was not as good as it is today. It was, uh, dude, I have no idea. London, New York City. Like, <laughs> I don't know where the fear Geographically comes from. hit that spot, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I don't know, Dubai. So, so I, I obviously didn't know the answer to that question. 
because I was just getting started. Mm-hmm. So what I did instead, Michael, is every single day for five minutes, just for five minutes, I answered one question that I thought the world would ask me about my products, my services, my expertise, or my offer for the coaches mm-hmm. listening to this. But if you do this every day for five minutes, once again, it's not about being perfect, but if you do this for a year, you'll have answered 365 <laughs> questions about your, your, your business, your life, you'll be bulletproof. That's great. You know, and I can just think how many people don't do that exercise. It's like, we want to get better at communication. So you think, oh, just go on and just talk to people or just have more conversations. Like you can actually practice these things early on. I remember uh, when me and former partners, we were building a new online business a couple of years ago with the pandemic and the person we worked with, they said, okay, we were in kettlebell training. They're like, all right, how many different questions could you possibly ask about kettlebell training? And we just ran out with just a list of them. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, how do you answer this question in like 60 seconds or less? And it, it challenged us to really get very economical with our words and our product. And the same thing, the first couple, I'm like, it took a million takes to do. I'm like, oh, this sucks. We freaking blow. So finally, after we got like 40 or 50 in, it's like, okay, we could just just get right through them from there. Every It is. It's, I mean, everything, if you put the reps in, right? I mean, you're going to get better at it. You're going to find a groove and a pattern of it. So anybody listening to this, if you want to get better at communication, I think that's one of the big things that you can take from anything. Just get the reps in, just put the exercise. Like you said, five minutes a day, answer one question about your business in one year. You're going to answer 365 questions about your business and be really precise with those answers. That's freaking awesome. Absolutely. And the buildup that you actually indirectly told us as a great example of how to do this is you didn't do it alone. You did it with your partners. You made it fun. Mm-hmm. So there's ways of making this interesting where you could just get your top 10 clients. This is what I like to do. Get my top 10 people. The people already love me. The people already love us. Mm-hmm. And I just go, drill me. Like, what are 20 questions you got from me on communication? And they would just like write a bunch of questions just to, just to get me. They'd be like, what about this? What about this? But they're all on my side. So what would happen is I would drill through these 200. So when I'd go to new clients that weren't entirely sold on me just yet, because we just started working mm-hmm. together, when they would ask, let's see how he deals with this really complicated question. And I'm able to maneuver it really well. They go, oh. Okay, I trust this guy. I know what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. So, so to your point, there's a way for us to not just uh, do it, but do it in a way that's easy. We don't even have to come up with the questions. We can get our clients to just do that for us. They'll do the legwork because they love Beautiful. us, right? So awesome. All right, so we've got the random word exercise. Now we've got the question in here. So we've got two down. What's the, the third one of the daily practice that we can do? It's so simple, Michael. Nobody does it. All you have to do is make a list of three to five people that you really love in your life. Mm-hmm. It could be a friend, a family member, a significant other, a client that's been working with you for a long time, an employee. And just ask yourself a simple question. When was the last time you sent any of these people a 20-second video message to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. I love and appreciate everything that you do. And I'm super grateful to have you in my life. Nobody receives video messages. And one thing I do to take this to the extreme is I have a CRM of my top, like, let's say 300 friends who really support me, who really Mm -hmm. pour into me. And it tells me every day whose birthday it is. So I put a stupid birthday hat on and I open my phone. I go, guess whose birthday it is. It's yours. (laughs) And they love it. And and what's great about this is one, you don't have to post on social media because mm-hmm. people are scared. I'm not even telling people to post on That's a ball seven. I'm just saying we have an opportunity to A, 
make ourselves better at communication, but B, more importantly, impact the lives of a thousand other people for the cost of zero dollars and zero cents. So I'd encourage people to take that opportunity. That's, you know, it's that little thing that you can do, but I have a couple of people that are in my head right now that we do video messages back and forth and do te- instead of just texting over, it's always just like a quick video message response over. And every time that pops up, I get so excited by that message back on there where, and you know, no disrespect to anybody else of texting, but I see texts come in all the time and it's like, okay, I'll get to that later. I see those video messages come up and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to listen to this as quick as possible. You get so excited from that. That's so beautiful. Absolutely. Which brings me to ball number four, which is the most Mm -hmm. important one. Mm -hmm. The best way to speak is to speak. Here's the mistake that the audience is making right now, Michael. They're writing down the tips and they're going, wow, Michael really brought somebody who knows their stuff with communicate. Mm -hmm. Random word exercise, question drill, video message. But the problem, my friend, is they don't do the exercises. So the most important thing to do today is are we booking 15 minutes in our calendar every single day to do all three of these exercises? Because the random word exercise takes five minutes to do five times. Mm -hmm. If you do it for a year, you'll have done it like over a thousand times. The question drill, one question a day for five minutes. That's it. Get your clients, audience, give you a bunch of questions. You don't have to think about Mm -hmm. them. And you don't even have to communicate them to other people. You could write them out. You could use like a voice recorder and just send it to yourself. And the third one is just a video message. There's only one rule, by the way, we forgot to mention the videos. You're not allowed to retake the video. That's the only rule. So when mm. you, what, you, what you create is what you have to send. That's it. You do that for 30 days, your life will change for sure. That's, oh, I love that so much. So it is, I mean, it's, I love the practicality of it and it is, but just the, the I'm so happy that you remember that rule on there of just, you can't redo the message again. You just have to do it one time for that. That's why I love uh, live videos. When I got better at speaking more is when I started doing more Facebook live videos with my groups on air. It's just like, because all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm live. I better, I have to speak on it right here. I can't just stop and delete and do it again and trying to get everything absolutely perfect. And I think that seems like it's one of the the misconstrued messages about speaking is everybody thinks that it needs to be so perfect. You know, it's like we see, I mean, you see things in Instagram and social media and it has like the perfect lighting, the perfect message, even though it's been edited like crazy. Where in reality, speaking is all messy. It's the silences, it's the breaks, it's the screw ups. You know, it's funny, like Chris Rock's uh, new um, stand-up special that he just did, he messed up the last joke that he did um, when he was talking. And it was so perfect because he said, yeah, I fucked up the joke. It's like, all right, well, I got back in and he just got right back into it, but he acknowledged it. It's like, it wasn't perfect in there. And it actually made the whole presentation of it even better that he did kind of screw up (laughs) one of the punchlines on it. So I think that's probably, that's one of the big things I know that I've taken so much from communication. It needs to be all of the authenticity, which means it's not perfect all the time, but perfect practice here, 15 minutes a day. And you could start making these really big gains. Absolutely. Right. And I love the Chris Rock analogy. That's really the idea is if we just take action on this, don't worry about the fear because the fear is going to be there, but let's attach it to some motivation. That's why I encourage Mm. people to reflect on that question. How would my life change if I was a great communicator? And the answer is different for all of us, but find yours and use that as the fuel, as the fire to really do those three things on a daily basis. And you'll get the result for sure. 
Awesome, man. Um, Brendan, dude, this has been an absolute blast connecting with you. So this has been great. I love this, not only the work that you're doing with Master Talk, but the simplicity of the steps that you're doing and from the journey that you've had of getting here. Like, I mean, you've practiced what you've preached since you started this. So I really appreciate you taking the time and, and jumping on today, man. The pleasure and honor was absolutely mine, Michael. Thanks for having absolutely. me. Absolutely. If people want to check more of your work out, um, consume more of your content, all that good stuff, where's the best place that we can direct them? Absolutely. So two ways to keep in touch. The first one is, of course, the YouTube channel. Just type master talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second way to keep in touch is I do a free communication workshop over Zoom that's live that you can join every two weeks. Eight-year-old kids join this call. CEOs of big companies join this call. Everyone's invited. So if you want to register, go to rockstarcommunicator.com and just register for the next one. Beautiful. We'll put those all in the show notes for you guys. Um, Brendan, dude, you're awesome, brother. Appreciate it. So listeners, thank you so much. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you can imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. And you'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. I much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.